This is Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda. I'm Johnny Hart, and you're listening to the Market Insights Market Pulse podcast. And let's join our guest for Thursday. It's Oanda Senior Market Analyst in London, Craig Earlham, and Trader Nick in the United States. Good afternoon from London, guys. Hope you're well. Good afternoon. Hey, Johnny. Good to be back. Well, you're back pretty quickly, uh, Nick, because it only seems a few hours ago that we had that conversation about the Fed and that uh, interest rate hold last night. And uh, on the back of that, we've got the Bank of England's announcement today. And of course, unsurprisingly, it did hold rates at five and a quarter percent, but did indicate it is uh, edging towards cutting uh, borrowing costs. It was quite interesting seeing the vote of the Monetary Policy Committee and how that split six to three. Craig, what came out of it for you? Are you more encouraged of a rate cut sooner rather than later? I still think that there's every chance we get a Q2 rate cut. And the reason is that they've already accepted that inflation is going to fall back to 2% in the second quarter. The reason why they're not more committed to a rate cut now and the reason why two people actually voted for a rate hike is because they think it's then going to rise again and it's not going to come back to target for another two years. So that's the reason why they're not convinced at this point. But it is worth remembering their forecasts overestimate uh, inflation and have done uh, for quite some time now. And therefore, if markets and if the data continues to underperform the Bank of England's expectations, then what's going to happen in Q2 is that inflation will actually fall below target. And when when I'm saying that if they think inflation is going to rise back above target for the next two years, we're only talking close to 3%. So it doesn't take much of an undershoot on that front for them to project in three months' time that inflation is going to come back below 2% and then maybe rise just above 2%. And that is with conditions. And Andrew Bailey alluded to this. A rate cut now does not create easy conditions. Monetary policy is very restrictive. Say the neutral rate is 3% and no policymakers want to talk about the neutral rate. So that's the rate at which policy is neither expansionary or constrictive. Say that's even 3%, which is high by recent history standards. Then interest rates will need to fall by two and a quarter percent just to get to neutral. So even if the Bank of England in May starts cutting rates by 25 basis points, even every quarter or every meeting, it will take more than a year just for interest rates to get back to neutral, which means they're going to remain restrictive for that entire time and continue to apply downside pressure to inflation. I am still of the view that May is a very live meeting, but just like the Fed, where I still think March is a live meeting and I still think the rate cut will come in March, it does just depend on the data for the next couple of months. That's just the fact of it. The data for the last three months has been very good. If the data for the next couple of months continues that trend, even, even to a lesser degree, but continues to be very surprising in the right direction, then I think these central banks will have no choice but to start cutting rates because they are now very close to their targets. Yeah, and one tick in favor, you mentioned some of the US data, and I think this is exceptionally interesting. We, of course, had these two meetings back to back. You had FOMC yesterday, Bank of England here today, and those votes that you mentioned were key in terms of gauging where the Bank of England is. And when we talk currency wars, talking about you know where we could see trends develop, it's always interesting to contrast the two. We did get some data out of the United States here today. We had claims come out 
at 224K. That is higher than what forecasts were at 213. These are, of course, people filing for unemployment. And so a higher number typically shows some weakness there. It wasn't a hugely higher than expected number and revisions from you know, the previous go around were pretty much unchanged. There's just a 1,000 difference there, 215 compared to 214 previously. So overall, claims came out this morning. We also had ISM manufacturing PMI. This number was kind of stronger than expected. We saw 49.1 compared to a forecast of 47.2. Both of these data, to your point, Craig, we're going to continue to watch this data come in. And, you know, we discussed this at length yesterday, just how, you know, the Fed at the end of the day, there was several, several months back where they kind of made a pledge to return to being reactive to the data. There was, you know, a period of where, where, you know, the Fed was saying this is transitory, this is transitory. Many people remember those periods of time back in 2021 and that sort of time frame where many people accuse the Fed of trying to be ahead of the curve, trying to guess what's going to happen next. And the Fed really changed their narrative to be data dependent. We've heard that sort of change in the narrative. In some ways, I think that's been a really good move for them as they've gone along and, and, and made their moves here in what's been a challenging environment. I think when you look at you know the currency war side of things, at the Bank of England, it does seem like rate cuts are pretty expected across the board for most major central banks. But when looking at the pound US dollar here today, we could see the, the exchange rate is at 1.2676. And uh, you know at the time of recording, it's been real choppy. You look at the daily charts, really not strongly moving in any particular direction. And I think maybe what could change that story is a little bit of uh, how these things shape out to be as we approach those decision-making moments, like the March rate cut, is it going to happen or is it not going to happen in the US? One thing to point out, of course, with jobs data tomorrow, uh, going off of our theme here of the Fed is going to be data dependent, We'll be watching those numbers real strong. I do have a little bit of a challenge here, Craig, for you. I thought about this. So when I was listening back to some of the things that you know the press conference had in store for us, somebody in the audience asked Jerome Powell about specifically like something along the lines of at what point do you actually think we're going to start to rate cut? Of course, everybody tries to ask that question in a fancy way. But Jerome Powell kind of let something slip that I thought was interesting. He said, right now, Things could change. I'm paraphrasing, by the way. Things could change, but March rate cuts are not the base case. However, again, we still have lots of data between now and then. And I do wonder if, Craig, this is my conspiracy theory for the day, is it possible that the jobs data has already been kind of looked over and that maybe we get a little bit of a higher print on NFP? And question for you, if we do, if they have seen those numbers and that's where that comment kind of was stemming from... Does that really change the picture? Is there still an environment where you do get a little bit of a hot print, but overall we still see data trending to a March rate cut? What do you think? I'd say I think many people, when the meetings are this close to major data releases, you do ask yourself the question, how much foresight are they given? They've got to make massive decisions. And if the BLS have access to this really important data that could be influential in the decision-making and they don't want to wait six more weeks for it to be influential, then is it possible for policymakers to get their hands on it early? I don't actually know what the answer to that question is. No one's ever really openly talked about it. We've never really heard, to the best of my knowledge, past Fed chairs come out and actually say that they could get early access to this data. But what I would say is that I took that not base case almost as a dovish thing because if you kind of look at the psychological element of it if he came out and said the base case markets would have gone crazy you would have seen a march cut being fully priced in 175 basis points 
fully priced in this year, and that's what would have happened. He'd have sent the message, the Fed is convinced that inflation is defeated, and now we start cutting interest rates. But you've got to look behind what he said. Just the fact that he's talking about the base case means that it's still a case. It's still a consideration. So in their mind, in March, it's the base case of hold or we cut. It depends on the data, but the cut is a very live option. That's not something we've heard from them before. That's a very big shift in a dovish direction. And it was one of a number of comments which we were talking about last night where I think we were moving in a much more dovish direction from the Federal Reserve. The Bank of England's a little bit different. What was interesting from the BOE today, two policymakers voted for a rate hike. The Bank of England as a whole removed phrases suggesting that the next rate move could be an increase. I find that staggering when there's been two of nine votes to increase interest rates that the policy committee as a whole agreed to remove language suggesting the next move could be a hike. It's almost as if seven policymakers are going, ignore them. They don't know what they're talking about. We're never raising interest rates next. We, we don't even need this language in our thing anymore. We need to let everyone know that we're either going to hold or we're going to cut at some point. Just ignore the two that voted for Ike. It was a very strange message. But this is why, at this point in time, these pivots are happening. What you've got to do is you've got to look behind the scenes almost. You've got to look through the messages beyond what they want the headlines to say and to what the message that they are trying to send in a more discreet manner. And and I thought it was interesting. Both the Fed and the Bank of England had these uh, in droves, and I don't really think much of it was discussed in the aftermath. Yeah, I think that that's a really good point. And, you know, we, we spoke about it briefly yesterday, just how, you know, the Fed has a very difficult job to do. They have to remain data dependent. Anything can happen. And, um, you know, to that point, there was a lot of stuff there that I think we could actually loop back to in talking the currency world. The other thing that they really mentioned that they have not yet mentioned in previous meetings on the Fed side is that they would also be concerned about increases in uh, the unemployment rate. And they haven't really spoken too heavily on that in the past. That's been something we've seen kind of shift in the narrative. They've you know, now pointing at, well, inflation is a risk and we want to get that down, but also unemployment is a risk. And that I think is to the dovish point, something to be considered of, because if you do get that unemployment rate, now you have more scenarios in which you can kind of point to and say, well, the Fed might react to this. So definitely some interesting points there. No, that is an interesting point. And um, one of the reasons why it's interesting, well, I guess there's two reasons why it's interesting. One is they do have a dual mandate, which is inflation at 2% and maximum employment. Now, for the last two years, the employment element has been very secondary. It will always be secondary to an extent, but when you're close to your inflation target, unemployment starts to play a more important role. But also, if you can see inflation returning to 2%, and then you start to see unemployment rising, that increases the possibility of you actually undershooting your inflation target once more because you're creating that slack in the labor market and inflation is more likely to undershoot. So the closer you get to 2%, the more important the unemployment rate does become. 
Very key stuff. And I do think, like I said, just to reiterate the importance of the NFP event that we do get tomorrow, we'll see some key stuff there. And I think we spoke about this just briefly yesterday, but to reiterate how important the average hourly earnings are in that report is going to probably be one of the key metrics. It's you know in the jobs data, but it's very much related to inflation as well. So definitely an interesting thing to see how that plays out and what I'll be watching personally. Okay, guys, very interesting stuff. We shall speak to you again next week. Have very good weekends. Thank you. Thanks, Johnny. Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda.